Welcome to Thrive, Mental Health and the Art of Living Free. I'm your host, Melissa Clark, a professional counselor in the Dallas area with a passion for helping you overcome challenges, process painful emotions, and understand your God-given identity. Thank you so much for being here. I believe listening to this podcast will leave you feeling excited, educated, and empowered. This week on Thrive, we are tackling a tough but important topic, suffering. The theology of suffering is something most of us wrestle with at some point in our lives. Asking questions like, if God is good, how can he allow bad things to happen? Or why does God allow good people to go through bad things? In this episode, we sit down with pastor and past Thrive guest, Mike Novotny, to discuss his latest book, When Life Hurts. In this episode, we talk about ways to prepare our hearts for suffering without living in fear. We explore practical, tangible steps to take when you're going through suffering, like ways to avoid toxic positivity, taking time to process your emotions, and finding ways to practice gratitude. We also explore examples of how to love others when they're going through difficult seasons, and the most dangerous question to ask in the midst of suffering. Pastor Mike Novotny has served God's people in full-time ministry since 2007. He also serves as the lead speaker of Time of Grace, where he gets to share the good news about Jesus through television, print, and online platforms. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mike Novotny. I want to welcome back to the show, Pastor Mike Novotny. Pastor, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. It was so fun to see you on my schedule, and I loved our conversation last year about growing our faith, and I know that that's been so helpful to so many of us. You're you're back on today, and I got to ask you, out of all the topics you could talk about, preach about, write about, why suffering? Maybe a, like a statistical help. Um, yeah, please so I do. Work- I work with a ministry called Time of Grace, and every single month we try to produce a piece of Christian content to help the church. And so we tackle, you know, tough topics. We tackle controversial topics. We do Bible studies. We do books on spiritual growth. And do you want to guess out of the 12 different options in the past 12 months, what was the number one most requested book? Suffering. It was this one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just something that no one gets through life without some of, if not a whole bunch of. And, you know, it's really one of those times where all the things you believed about God, that he's good all the time and he's working on everything for the good of the church. It's really hard to know if you genuinely believe that until you're in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people, you know, not only do we go through it, but maybe it tests our faith in a way that the previous 20 years or 25 years just didn't. And so even though it's kind of uncomfortable, not the happiest, clappiest topic, it just really opening a Bible and coming up with a biblical theology of how I'm going to get through this, is it something sooner or later every Christian has to do? It's really, it's necessary. The theology of suffering is something I practice and process a lot with my clients. And it's just one of those big topics that, you know, there are no answers. And and I know that you're not trying to propose that you have all the answers to these tough topics, but I'm curious, what are the questions that you saw in the survey? Like, what are people asking for in regards to getting through tough times? This might seem simplistic, but I think of it as the simple topic of the love of God. 
when I'm really, really suffering, when it's not just a bad day or a headache, but chronic pain or infertility or a divorce or abuse or a sudden death, do I believe in the love of God? And do I have love for God? I, I used to say God is love. Do I say that right now when all I have is him? Mm -hmm. And am I really passionate as I was to follow him, to trust in him, to serve him? I think the questions, you know, people ask why and why now or why this or why again, but a lot of it really to me, the heart of pain is, do I believe right now in my hardest moments that God loves me and that he is worthy to be loved right back? It sounds so simple, but also so profound. Mm -hmm. In your book, When Life Hurts, the newest one that you have out, I'm still marveling at the fact that you have another book out. Uh, <laughs> as a wannabe writer, I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> the, key, uh, <laughs> the key is I don't have many friends, so I got nothing to do. <laughs> I doubt that. I, you're a busy guy. But you reference the book of Job as as the backbone behind this this book. And we know that Job, the, the guy suffered. He lost his kids. He lost his wealth. He lost like his animals, his health suffered. And yet a big part of the, the message behind it was all about surrender, mm. surrender and the suffering. How do you feel like Job modeled that, that message of surrender? And why do you think that's so important in the midst of our struggle? Yeah. How did Job model it? Good at first, <laughs> but, but then for the, you know, Job chapters one and two, and if uh, someone's watching or listening and doesn't know the story, um, Job is really the godliest man of the ancient world. I think godless of the ancient world spells goat. So he's like, Love he's, it. <laughs> he's passionate about his faith. He's a good, mm -hmm. God is proud of him when we have this really curious conversation. Mm -hmm. And when God Satan kind of comes up to God and says, well, no wonder he loves you and prays to you and sacrifices to you. You've given him this cushy life. He's like a, a dog that lives in this huge mansion with the softest bed. No, mm -hmm. yeah, you'll sit if you get a treat. But I bet if you take the treat away, God, this Job won't love you right back. And so at the beginning, when the test happens and God says, okay, let's see, and he takes things away from Job, he's am he's amazingly faithful. He gives God the right to take away even his own children. You know, naked I came from the womb, mm -hmm. naked I will return, the name of the Lord be praised. Mm -hmm. But that's only chapters one and two. And Melissa, for chapters three until God shows up in chapter 38. And so that's, it is, a, that's a long time too, right? I mean, like if you're reading a, a novel, 35 chapters is like not that big of a deal. But in the Bible, like that's a lot of real estate yeah. that <laughs> is spent on this story. I never thought of that, but there's no there's no gospel in the New Testament that's as long as the book of Job. Yeah, yeah. it's like 42 chapters or something like that. Yeah. And so yeah, that's, a, that's a lot yeah. of material on this. It is. And you know, part of me, even as I was reading and preaching this at our church and writing this book, it's like, wow, that's not to critique the Holy Spirit, but <laughs> would an editor have said, let's shrink this down? <laughs> and then and then maybe I thought, no, this is true to life. Like yeah. when you're going through something that doesn't end quickly you're faithful one day and you love God. And the next day you, you just can't get past the, why did this happen? And you feel that he's good and I trust him. And then on Tuesday, I'm just the opposite. And, and so maybe God is, has inspired for us a book that's actually true to the human experience that when life hurts and when we suffer, it's not like you pick a path and you're on it. It's a daily choice to believe in God's love and to love him right back. Mm -hmm. I think it's a beautiful way of looking at it. There's an ebb and a flow. 
And I think that can feel surprising to us when they're in the midst of like, let's say a divorce or a cancer diagnosis or something that's ongoing and it's not a quick remedy. Mm -hmm. We can feel that, okay, well, I'm going to be faithful and then something triggers us and we're on a downward spiral, but then we get back up again. Then we go back down again. We get, I mean, it just seems like up and down and down and up and yeah. That can make us feel like, where is our faith if it keeps wavering like this? What would you say to the person that is questioning their faith because it keeps going up and down? Yeah, Uh, I would say when the Old Testament looks back on the life of Job, Job is actually put in the top three godliest men in the Old Testament. So forgive me for not knowing the reference. In one of the prophets, God is talking about these really righteous people, and he names Daniel, and he names Noah, and he names Job. That's an incredible comfort to me because when I read the story of Job, I say, well, you know, I don't know, B minus. He, <laughs> he, he was, he was yeah. really amazing. And then he accused God and said, I want to take you to court to defend yourself. Like, I wish I could see you face to face so you could explain yourself to me. You know, when it feels like, wow, Job's not that great of a believer. You know, when God looks at him through the eyes of grace and mercy, maybe that gives us some comfort to say, I have some really faithful days and some really, wow, I'm I'm pretty, I'm the guy who questions God's plan for me. And yet God's not going to keep a record of those wrongs. He's going to see me through grace and through the cross. Mm -hmm. That gives me an immense amount of comfort. And if I wasn't sitting here interviewing you for other people to hear, I would probably start crying (laughs) because it's one of those things where the humbleness and the humility that comes with that, knowing that God knows our heart. Mm. And he doesn't expect for us to be perfect. We want us to be perfect and to have this like linear path that we're going to get through this on the straight and narrow, but God never, never expects that from us. Yeah. It's, I mean, he wants us to strive. The new Testament says to aim for perfection, but I mean, addiction is part of my, my story in my life. And my favorite page of the Bible is Romans seven, where Paul who's late in his Christian journey is basically lamenting his own weakness. The things I know I should do and that I want to do, I want to love God. I don't do it. And the stuff I hate and that's sinful and wrong, I keep doing that. What a wretched Mm -hmm. person I am. And yet he comes back like in the very next verse, but thanks be to God who gives us his son, Jesus. And there's no condemnation for people like me. So I love the fact that for me and for you and for Job in this up and down, we love him. We don't like God is so faithful to his promise of grace and forgiveness to us. And that's our comfort and our rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's so many like good truths within that. I don't want to say story, but within that passage. Mm-hmm. So an important part to me about the story too, is whenever we're going through it, there's a term that's new, but I think the Bible is speaking to it, which is avoiding toxic positivity. You know, mm-hmm. Job doesn't have like a smile on his face and he's not just like, oh no, everything's good. I mean, he, he's, he shaved his head which I'm sure you could speak into the relevance to that. He changed his clothes. I mean, he was definitely like in a posture of mourning. He was Mm. clearly suffering, but we're told that it's okay to mourn. It's okay to grieve. But I think for a lot of us, we want to say that God works all things together for good. Therefore I should have a smile on my face and keep going. Mm. And that, that just really isn't the case. Yeah. Aren't most lies just like something that's true taken too far, you know, because if, if you step back and just look at the Bible and say, well, does the Bible tell us just to be happy all the time? Like, no, Ecclesiastes three, there's a time for mourning. 
Jesus, who was perfect in his love for God in the Old Testament, was described as a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Mm -hmm. I was raised in a, a really, I think, a really healthy theological tradition that talked about, we called it the theology of the cross. Mm. Like when you follow Jesus, he said, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross. And last time I checked, the cross was <laughs> was not a happy thing to be around. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, the burdens of this life, Romans 8 calls them like labor pains. We're groaning to be released from all the pain we go through here on earth. So, yeah, I, I know the Bible says we should rejoice always. And there's this great hope that God has a plan even for all of our pain. But let's never, ever turn that up to the place where we judge people for acting like Jesus, who himself wept when he was face to face with pain and grief. Mm hmm. That's really good. What do you feel like that looks like practically to rejoice while also mourning? Mm. Yeah. After reading Job, it struck me how beautiful it is when someone comes to church and weeps. And instead of just watching the live stream because they're not put together yet, mm -hmm. you know, they're in the midst of the the court case, the divorce, they're, the miscarriage just happened. I think when you come to church and say, I still want to praise Jesus, even if I get choked up in the first stanza of the song. Church isn't just the place when I can raise my hands and clap and smile, but when I can't hold it together, that's the perfect marriage of trust and joy and pain and suffering. I, I don't know that a lot of our church cultures are like that. I just I don't think so. See a lot I, of people who think they, they got to avoid it until things are better. And this is not, I know it's not true. I think there's also a lot of people that want you to avoid it until it gets better. I think it's a both and. And one of the things that I resonate with most in the in Job and what, everything that he went through is his friends. Mm. And we know that community is important. And yet, what do we do whenever our community isn't giving us wise counsel? Yes. Or doesn't give us permission to grieve or to mourn? Mm. What are yeah. your thoughts? Yeah. And when I went through Job, I I came up with this phrase that community is a messy necessity. You need it. If you're hurting and you just isolate because your friends don't know what to say, or you know, you miscarry or lose a child and people say the wrong thing, well, at least you have your other children, you know, something dumb like that. If you avoid all that, it, it might be temporarily easier, but it will not lead you to health and recovery. And so I think everyone involved just has to know, okay, when pain hits, it's going to be hard. It's going to be messy. I'm going to say the wrong thing. <laughs> You're going to say that. I mean, we have 35 chapters of Job and his friends basically arguing with each other. And the Holy Spirit said, let's put this in the Bible. Let's, <laughs> let's drop that in there. Because my uh, father-in-law passed five years ago. Mm. And it just was a whole new challenge for me and my wife and my mother-in-law we didn't always know what to say. She didn't always know how to ask. And, you know, we had to work through it and it was hard. It was just a, a stage of our relationship that was more difficult than any that preceded it. And so I, that's what I was encouraging when uh, I wrote that chapter of, hey, let's be gracious with each other. Let's not avoid each other. Let's realize that hurt people hurt people. We're going to need each other, but this is going to be a, a test of our friendship or our family bonds. And I think Job just opens the door and gives us permission to do so. I, that's so good. And I like the I like the perspective of not expecting the friends to be perfect, but also, you know, having boundaries and maybe 
with love saying like, Hey, that really bothered me. Mm-hmm. Or what do you think about a, a trusted person? Like going to those people on behalf of the person grieving and saying like, Hey, this, why don't you try doing this? Or why don't you try doing that? Because yeah, this, this kind of bothered them and they're, they're not at a place to, uh, yep. to even speak right now. Cause there, there's just some really hard stuff going on, like horrific losses. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think when we're in the midst of that, it can be so hard to wrap our minds around it to even mm-hmm. be able to say that bothers me. And so I think we do isolate, even mm-hmm. though we need that community so much. Yeah. You're I'm reading a book on uh, screens and communication right now. And a substantial it's, it's good stuff right about how screens are so helpful for, for us and <laughs> really boosting our communication skills i'm sure <laughs> I, I, we did a three-week sermon series and the first week was the blessings of screens and okay. then we got to the, then, then we got to the bad things so they're yeah. we, we like them they can be yeah. good but um one of the points the author was making and this is a reclaiming conversation by sherry turkle mm-hmm. and she she was saying you know empathy is getting harder because face-to-face conversations are unpredictable and messy. And so what a lot of us do is when there's a hard conversation, whether it's comforting someone in their grief or confronting someone in their sin, is we resort to a text or DM. And unfortunately, that just doesn't fill the deep emotional need of those moments. And so my fear is if we step away from community in times of pain and just, you know, text people, is that the thing that was hard is going to get harder mm-hmm. and that we almost have to force ourselves just go no you don't know what to say yeah you're going to say something dumb yeah you're probably going to have to call them afterwards and say I, i'm sorry if i said i didn't mean to come off that way that that is so much better to have a face-to-face friend to walk through the valley of the shadow with you than just your phone buzzing every couple minutes mm-hmm. so that, that's hard i think we need to be challenged to do that because we were just made for face-to-face empathy and compassion yeah, that's really good thinking about how our world and society does not set us up to go through suffering well, and we're all going to go through suffering. That was one of the things that stood out to me in your book was how Job prepared for suffering mm-hmm. and thinking about the application of preparing our community for how do you how do you go through things? What does it look like for me to love you well? Mm-hmm. And something I hear from my clients often is I'm just, I'm just afraid that the other shoe is going to drop. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're afraid of this like impending doom that mm-hmm. we don't do anything. We just, we're just like afraid. What are some proactive ways that not out of fear, but out of wisdom that we can prepare for suffering, mm-hmm. modeling our lives after Job, and even just having some tough conversations ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. I think two things pop into my head. One is to make sure you realize that everything is temporary. The fact that I ate today, that wasn't guaranteed. The fact that I'm clothed today and warm today and my wife texted me back today. So, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes, which comes, it's -hmm. in that same section of wisdom books in the Bible is meant to teach you. It's all, it's all like a breath. It's all meaningless. It's all temporary. And if you hold on to that thing, if it becomes your idol, like if I don't have blank, I can't love God. Th- that's a, a place we got to get to. Like Job was able to make it through this faith because he said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Mm-hmm. His name be praised. So just being honest with yourself, list your, the top 10 things you love the most. Can I still say that God is good and gracious to me if he takes away number seven or number four or number mm-hmm. two? Mm-hmm. 
or even if if he took away number one, if he gave me his son and is offering me eternal life through Jesus, I can trust him. And then the second thing I'd add is, yeah, the first big book I released was all about this of let's make sure we have such a huge, glorious concept of God that even if he was all that we had left, we wouldn't feel robbed. You know, if I if I say to God, God, I know I know you're here with me as my good shepherd, but what I really wanted was my job. Like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, okay. That, I, I know that's not right when I say it out loud. Mm-hmm. I, I can't be happy today, Jesus. Mm-hmm. All I have is you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, he is the God of love and he is so glorious and good. King David got to that place, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Mm-hmm. I shall not want. I'm, the, Paul got to that place. I've learned the secret of being content. Whether I'm living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Jesus who gives me strength. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those two things, if I can convince myself the things of this earth are temporary, but God is eternal. The things of this earth might be good, but only God is great. Those two theological truths to me are the really bedrock foundation that prepare me for if the shoe does drop. I, I hope it doesn't. But if it does, I can make it through with my faith and trust in Jesus. Because I believed, you know what? It was temporary. I, I knew this was going to happen sooner or later. Oh, and thank you, Jesus. I still have you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's easy to say because I've had a, a good year. Mm-hmm. But I, that's what I would want to say to someone in their suffering that I think is going to prepare them for that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And it is easy to say whenever times are good. Mm-hmm. I think it's when times are hard, when you've lost maybe even one through 10. Yeah. Or you only have a one through three and, you know, things are looking to go and to praise God in the midst of it. I do think that David gives us such a good example of that because that guy is like really like blatantly honest <laughs> and talk about like another like passage, uh, you know, chunk of real estate in the Bible. That's like really big. And God like never rushed him through his emotions. Mm. You know, I've made a study of this, like our emotions bad. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it mean that we're emotional beings? And and I've really come to the conclusion that God, we're made in God's image and God himself is emotional mm-hmm. and therefore we are emotional and he never rushes us through it. Mm-hmm. Do you know how long the, like Job went through what he went through? Like how the span of time? I don't think there are any clues in the book. Are there any uh, guess like your guess, like. I always wonder, like, how long were Adam and Eve here? Was that like a <laughs> two-week thing? Was that like years? Like, you know, yeah, it's, it's hard not to be in the word and not to have some speculation. It, it yeah. seems like for me, it would he was going through this for at least a year. Hmm. I get the the sense that it was not just like a few weeks. Yeah, you get that impression. I'm I'm not positive, but yeah, either way, I, I mean, I can't imagine losing one of my daughters. So whether that pain was weeks or months or years. I mean, just the the dark place where he was. So mm-hmm. that's a good I question. Get, I'm, I'm going to put that on my list of mm-hmm. questions to ask Jesus when I see him. Yeah, <laughs> I have a lot. I, I hope that whenever I get to heaven many years from now, that they roll out a VCR, you know, the little tape on the, the wheels and a little orientation video. I, I want, I have so many questions. Well, I, my I, question I, is why, why VCR? What made, what made you? Cause I'm old that? school. Cause I'm old. <laughs> That, that was my generation. I don't want to stream it. I don't want to download it. I want to see the little tape and pop it in, rewind it. Um, I'm sure I won't care at that point. But I really do get the feeling that Job went through this for a while. 
David, what he went through was for a while and Mm -hmm. God never rushed either of them through those experiences. And I think sometimes we more are likely to rush ourselves and I think we're more likely to rush others because Mm. it's super uncomfortable to see our friends, to see our loved ones suffering. So what do we do, Pastor Mike, in, whenever our friends are the ones that are going through the suffering? It's on us. It's them watching. Like, how can we be a godly support to them? Yeah, there's a little clue, I think, in before Job and his friends get into this huge fight that lasts for 35 chapters. Yeah. Um, they're, they're actually really amazing friends. So chapter two says when they hear about Job and his suffering, three th- I think there are three Hebrew verbs. Number one, they go, which to me is so practical, but it's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. You don't know what to say. Yeah. It's messy. Go. Don't sit there and wait for the perfect plan to comfort. Just be there. I- I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but in the, in the Jewish culture, don't they call this sitting? Is it Shiva or Shiva? Shiva. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, I'm sure we're, like, we're both wrong. Forgive us. Yes. <laughs> for, for seven days, you know, my home is open and you go, you don't need to know what to say. You don't even have to speak necessarily, but just to go and be present and give that gift. So I think that's number one, show up. Number two, it says his friends go to sympathize. They don't offer simple solutions. They want to go and sympathize. The Hebrew verb there in the Old Testament is to shake your head back and forth. So sympathize is like, wow, I'm so sorry. You don't need like confident head nodding. I know the words to say right mm-hmm. now. The theological answer is just, I'm weeping with those who weep and I'm mourning with those who mourn. And then the final thing the Job chapter two says is that they went to comfort him. And here's where they messed it up, you know, because when they open their mouth to speak, they had their pat answers that bad people suffer and good people don't. And that provoked a huge argument where Job knew he wasn't as bad as his friends were saying. But I think their original outline, I'm going to go, I'm going to sympathize, and I'm going to comfort. And if I go with good love, I'm going to do the first two. And if I go with the truth of God's word, hopefully I can accomplish the third one. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a good template to follow for when our friends are suffering. I love that. And I would say even with that comfort is just to, to do the practical not to ask them what they need, but just to show up with something. Mm. Um, I was going to reference this in a second, but my husband went through a life, almost life ending illness. Mm. And when people would ask me, what, what can I do to help? I would, I don't know what I was just like dumbfounded, but the people who just showed up with food or mowed the lawn, or can I take your car to get an oil change? Like just, I think sometimes just offering and even having a no is like so helpful than trying to come up with like a meal plan whenever you're just like scrambling and not knowing what to do. And so I love that just going. And I love the Jewish faith also when it comes to mourning, they take an entire year to grieve Mm. an entire year. And I can't remember the exact schedule of things. Um, We have some friends who are Jewish and I'm just like, Oh, I always like pick their brains. Like, I'm like, what do you do for this? And mm-hmm. what do you do for that? Cause it's just so different from an evangelical faith. I think it's just like beautiful. The idea of going slow and being still yeah, not pushing yourself. And so, you know, for those of you who are struggling and suffering, I would just say to, to, to gather around those around you and to have that comfort. What can we do in regards to our faith? We know on our head that God is love but we're not feeling it. We're not believing it because if, if God is love, then why would I be going through this? 
you know, there's no, if, if I'm face to face or I'm, I'm speaking to someone today who is just, you know, just got gut punched by life, I could say probably nine true things and it still won't feel like a good enough reason. Right. When I was in a young pastor, a 17 year old died of brain cancer. Mm. And I remember, you know, walking into the living room and there's this girl who just passed head in her mother's lap. You know, what, what, what do you say? Yeah. Um, so I realized that, you know, pain encompasses just some of the most profound, inexplicable things we go through. And the Bible's honest about that. Maybe the the most sure thing that I can come back to, though, is if Jesus died on a cross for me when I was just a sinner, God has to be love. Yeah. You know, I might not get why I lost my job, why I've had depression my whole life. None of the answers might make sense. And I might start to say, yeah, well, why, 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 does, why doesn't God just fix it? But if I look at a cross, I mean, to me, there is there is no logical explanation why that would happen unless God is the very essence of love. Mm. And so me, it it you know, I would just take all of my pain and my my clutched hands and grab onto the bottom of a cross and mm-hmm. say, you you have to be love. Why would you why would you die for me when you needed nothing from me unless you are love? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, if my questions are like this lightning bolt. I feel like the cross is the lightning rod that grounds them. And it it's just that there's just enough logic to it that like, you know what? I don't get God, but I he has to be love. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. the gospel to me is the 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 simple and surest answer. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a Polaroid. You know, you don't have the whole picture at first. I, t- I told you I'm old, um, <laughs> uh, but you shake it. You may not have an exact view of it, but you know enough. Mm. And I think sometimes that's helpful not to have a clear picture because we don't need a clear picture where, when we're going in the midst of it. Mm. But I think to have an idea that God is love and to let that be our, our, our tether to where we're going is so helpful. At least that's the way I look at it with my clients is to say like the theology of suffering, like you said at the very beginning, I don't know how we have a deep and rooted faith without poking around at our faith. Mm. And you're more of the expert about this than I am, but he does not mind us doubting Mm. and asking tough questions and, and wrestling with him. Correct. Um, no one. Yes. Yeah, we get, I mean, when God shows up at the end of Job, who has been doubting, he rebukes him. Mm. He says, he says, brace yourself. I got some questions for you. And he actually asked Job, I counted 77 straight questions. So where were you when I did this? If you know so much about how the universe is run, tell me this. What about this? What about that? And and Job, it says he repents and he says, I despise mm. myself for the way I thought about God. So there's there's an honest question, like, I, I don't understand, God, help me understand. And then there's the doubting where I'm doubting your love, God. Do you really? Yeah. And I think there's a line there between kind of valid, sanctified emotion and that little seed of sin that the devil wants you to doubt Resentment. God. Question him, like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe he isn't as good as he says. Mm-hmm. And so that's where Job actually gets, he crosses that line, God rebukes him and he accepts it. So... Yeah, the, I mean, man, Job, if you haven't read it from start to finish in one sitting is worth two hours of your time. It's so profound. It keeps us balanced. It allows us to grieve, but not take our grief too far as a permission mm-hmm. to sin. It reminds us of community, both good and bad. 
tells us about God, his glory. So mm-hmm. man, it's, it's tucked away in the Old Testament. I think a lot of people don't take the time, but I hope they do. Fun fact, it's the oldest book in the Bible. The first written, I actually read that in a college introduction class with ancient literature. Yeah. And so that was at a secular school, but we read through Job and it's just interesting too, when you look at it from a historical point of view, (laughs) do you feel like there's anything that we miss that is going to be super helpful for somebody that's either in the midst of suffering or watching someone suffer, or they have a fear of a future, you know, struggle? Because again, None of us are immune to suffering. We will all go through some variants of something. Yeah. I would maybe leave you with uh, the story of my mom. So I was there, but I don't remember this. When I was a year old, uh, my mom had my little brother named James, and he was sick from the very start. Mm. And uh, sadly, he never got better. At six weeks old, he passed. And I was just a year old. But my mom, despite losing everything by the sheer grace of Jesus, instead of running away from God and the Bible and the church, one of the first people she called was her pastor. And one of the first places she ran to was her local church. I don't remember that, but I do remember this. My mom was the one who took me to church when I was a kid and a teenager. My mom was the one who sometimes dragged me to church until that pastor came that really grabbed my attention. It was because of my mom that I was at church where my pastor said, you should read the Bible. And then I read the Bible and came across Mark chapter 8, the pastors that inspired me to become a pastor. And so here I am preaching, writing books, telling people about Jesus. And if you ask me from a human perspective, why did that happen? I would take the dominoes all the way back to that moment when my mom lost her youngest son. And instead of turning on God, she turned towards him. Mm-hmm. My mom's amazing. She would mm-hmm. say, I don't I don't know. I, I wasn't a great Christian mom. I don't know why you're a, you're a pastor and you get to do all this. And, and I want to say, oh my goodness, no. When you hurt, you ran to the source. And Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm connected to Jesus and hopefully connecting other people to Jesus is probably from a a human perspective because of my mom's faithfulness in her most painful moment. Mm -hmm. So I would say to people like my mom in 1981, like you you have no clue what God is going to do with this. You can fathom it. You can never guess it. But trust that God was not making up that verse when he said, in all things, he's working Mm -hmm. for the good of his church. So cling to Jesus, trust in his love, be faithful, and uh, just watch what God does in the days to come. Do you feel like that also helps us then to have faith? Because I think it's hard for us whenever we lose a child or go through a sickness to then, how do we have faith that that we won't lose another child or go through sickness again? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes it's not just the one struggle, it's the repeat struggle that really begins to tear away or erode our faith. Yeah, I tackle that in the book too, because that's what happens to Job. So he's really faithful after round one of his suffering. And then Satan comes back and says, well, you didn't take his health away. Um, So Job addresses that. Chronic pain is where it gets very difficult to cling to the cross. So yeah, I mean, I don't think the answer is change. I think it just becomes a a little bit tougher to choose that the second time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe there's some parallel when someone hurts you and you have to forgive them. Mm-hmm. You know, I have this great spiritual moment where I'm letting it go. I'm giving it to God. I forgive you like Jesus forgave me. And then there's that trigger, right? Six days mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you use the perfect phrase at the start of this conversation. It's this up and down, back and forth roller coaster. And that is that that is the journey of faith. Mm-hmm. And so maybe someone listening today is having an awesome day. Mm-hmm. Praise God. 
maybe they just tanked and they've been shouting at the sky all day in their yeah. pain. Like, okay, it's going to pass. It's a wave of emotion. You can repent like Job. God will forgive you. Um, so I think we just have to be honest about mm -hmm. every day is a, you got to run the race and fight the good fight. Mm -hmm. God's merciful. He's going to give you his spirit and his son, and he's going to get you through it. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Where can we find you and where can we get the book? Yeah. So the book is solely available at timeofgrace.org. So this one uh, wasn't published through an outside publishing house. So timeofgrace.org, when mm -hmm. life hurts. Um, mm -hmm. I, I just heard we we sold out of like two runs, but we just got books in this week. So that's amazing. Jump, yeah. If you want to jump on, you can uh, get your latest copy or there's an ebook too, if you want to track it down timeofgrace.org. And there's also like great study questions to go with it. And that's one of the things I love. It's not just learning new information or re remembering. It's actually going through it. Yeah. And that's also what we need whenever we're struggling and suffering is something tactile and practical to implement. And so that's one of the things I really appreciated is that the tangible things to do that will guide you through. Not yeah. that you have all the answers, um, but but there's some 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 benchmarks or some guideposts that I yeah. believe are super helpful. And um, I really appreciated your book and the heart behind it. So thank you so much. Yeah. Can I say one real quick thing? Please I totally do. forgot. Please do. You mentioned it before, but it is really hard. It's much easier to accept the truth about suffering before you suffer. And so if someone's listening and maybe they're in a stage of life like I am right now where I'm, I haven't lost a child or I didn't lose my job or I'm not going through a divorce, this book, I would say, is best meant pre-suffering, not during or post-suffering. And so God has a, you know, the soil of your heart, I think, is going to be much more soft and receptive if you're obviously convinced of the goodness of God and the truths of this book can get into you early. I, I think that's going to benefit you when it happens down the line. Not that it can't help people who are in the midst of it, but I really think doing the preemptive work is going to prepare. You're going to have a good theology of suffering when that day arrives, and that's going to be a gift for your future. It, it really, it really is a gift because there's different ways to go through things. I referenced my husband being sick, and we went, both of us went through a real season of resentment mm. and questioning and anger and frustration. And mm. when you get that rust on your soul, it takes a while to get it off. Yeah. And so I, I, I wish that we didn't have to go through that. And so I think the more that you can go in understanding that things are going to happen, it's not that you're bad, definitely not that God is bad, mm -hmm. um, but that we do live in a fallen world and terrible things happen. I think the more that you can go in with that understanding, knowing that God is love, period, and that doesn't change, mm -hmm. it definitely changes the way that you struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So. Awesome. Well, you can learn from my mistake. So <laughs> I've got lots of them. All right. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Mike. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you so much for joining me this week on Thrive Mental Health and the Art of Living Free. Be sure to visit my website where you can subscribe to get the show notes. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. That way you never miss a show. While you're at it, help me out by adding some stars to the rating and tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week where we continue to help you to thrive in your life.